Brian, thank you very much for the opportunity to present for the invitation. Um, it's been an interesting morning because I think we, uh, as an audience, can see just the degree of change that, um, that is bestowed on us at this particular point in time. Um, it's always helpful when your boss, the GCE, Porsche, speaks before you because then you know exactly what you can't say. Um, there's a bit of overlap in our presentations, which I think is, is a good thing. In fact, there's a huge amount of correlation. Um, what I will try and do is, is make some of the pieces that she hasn't spent time on a little bit more informative and then reinforce some of the, uh, the other areas. Uh, I think uh, what Roger has also indicated is that we're under a lot of pressure. And the pressure is, is now. Um, it's important for our economy. We understand that. And we are thus always open to that conversation. And again, Roger, thank you for acknowledging that across the Transnet team, um, our opportunity to communicate so that we understand the challenge of industry and you understand some of the challenges that we face um, is at least uh, dealt, uh, dealt with and addressed. Um, I'm going to talk quickly about the market view uh, and then I'm going to talk about Transnet segment strategy, which Porsche has already introduced. Um, the market view uh, is very focused on the upturning commodities that we've seen. So the bottom end of that slide really demonstrates over the last decade the extent to which we've seen price, price growth in, in all the key commodities which we move. Now, South Africa is an exporter of a range of minerals, um, some of which don't get moved by Transnet, um, but in all areas we've seen considerable um, upswing in terms of pricing. And the Russia-Ukraine conflict has, has actually driven commodity prices up even more substantially, and particularly coal, and I'll come back to coal in later slides. Unfortunately, at the top end of the, of the graphic, what you'll see um, in the two red circles is the projected growth uh, for South Africa in the next year or two is, is, is below our peers. Um, so in the post-COVID world, there is really a lot of economic catch-up that we have to do as a country. And reforming the sectors, energy and transport, in such a way that they play a much more dynamic role is critical, and we understand that. And our engagements with the presidency around that and the push from the presidency and the National Department of Transport is one of the key areas of change that we as, a, as an organization have to grapple with. Now, our response to policy change, <clears throat> um, even although it really comes uh, to uh, parts of the market that we monopolize, has been to say that we would want to drive and steer that change in such a way that Transnet changes uh, in a constructive way to meet the requirement of the policy uh, debate. As Jan David shared with you, the white paper has been, um, has gone through the process of cabinet and they now uh, will initiate a process of putting in a, a rail uh, bill and then an act. We want to preempt that process of change because we actually think we can reform the organization in such a way that it plays a more significant role in the economy. Um, and it draws the private sector in, which is the intention of, of, of the, the white paper. It also talks to uh, the funding and the long-term planning of rail, and it takes some of that function and it shifts it um, under the ambit of the National Department of Transport. We have agreed to um, second a team from Transnet that has been working on our own long-term planning framework um, and allow them to work um, under the leadership of the department to help that planning function. And as Porsche has indicated, a key element of that is also to be able to fund our network. And I'll talk to you about the nuances of trying to fund the network, which are complex. Um, but it's very critical to understand that 
the rail network uh, that Transnet has has been underinvested for a considerable period of time. And so to a large extent, uh, Roger, as you well know, to bring it up to that to the famous word nameplate capacity actually requires more than just operating better. It requires considerable investment. We measure that at this point in time, we only invest in some of the core parts of the network, 30% of what is required to actually sustain the network in the condition that it should be. And so it then becomes unreliable. And that together with, uh, with infrastructure, um, th uh, theft and vandalism, create a situation where it's very complex to operate trains um, uh, against the schedule. And so we're very challenged by that environment. And we're working very hard uh, to try and reform that. Uh, if we look at, um, at the key commodities, export coal is one where the coal community pushes us very hard. At this point, uh, coal is at around 400 US a ton, um, and the global demand for coal is really quite substantial. Uh, we're not able to move industry demand, but we also don't foresee that that demand will be long-standing, which is perhaps some area of difference that we have with some of the mining community, but our own forecasts and our working with analysts um, we have projected coal demand to kind of peak at around 2037. That may be pulled out slightly or extended a little, uh, depending on, on the extent or the longevity of the, of the conflict in, in, in Europe. Um, and then we would see a slow, a slow decline in, 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 in coal demand. So we, we track a 81 million tonne um, overall demand, which is considerably more than we have at the moment, I should just point out, um, that, we, that we would like to we would like to be able to deliver in the future. Export iron ore, you can see the upward trend uh, of, of what is shown. Um, it is not quite as, as steep as some of the upward trend in some of the other commodity sectors, but there definitely is opportunity to grow export um, iron ore. And again, Porsche showed you the extent to which there's another 10 to 12 million tons of uh, available export capacity we'd like to make uh, available to, to exporters into the mining community. It's the bottom two, uh, manganese, magnetite, where we see quite strong upward shifts in demand, a uh, highly competitive country from, from a perspective of mining in these two areas. Um, Porsche has pointed out that uh, government will continue to drive a strategy of beneficiating um, as much as possible some of these uh, minerals, um, but we do see the need to be able to service them um, and, and create growing demand within our, within our network. Chrome and ferrochrome, very much the same. In fact, we we meet uh, probably only about half of the current demand in that particular segment, um, and we probably won't be able to keep up with the growth in that segment. It's a huge opportunity for Transnet. We have uh, two um, outlet ports for that, for that growth. We see Maputo not so much as a competing port, but rather as a port that we can work with, uh, working together with the, the ability for us to exit some of this traffic through, the, through Richards Bay. Um, automotive, the, the big OEMs, um, have all indicated um, a desire to grow um, export of, uh, of finished vehicles by around 100% in most instances. So most of the big OEMs would like to double production. Uh, Ford in particular would like to treble production. So the ability of us to service automotive is also really critical to our overall segment mix. And then the last area on the right-hand side is port containers. Now port containers, there's an issue around demand, but they our key driver is, is twofold. The, the first is to improve the operational uh, performance of our export and import capacity at the big uh, container terminals. But the second one is to create a proper hub uh, that attracts some of the more competitive vessels and shipping lines into the port of Durban. Uh, in terms of the segment strategy, 
we have a ge geographical spread um, across the country, and this talks uh, to a large extent around some of our ambitions around how we see the funding model working for Transnet going forward. Um, Transnet has a, a rail network that is really considerable in size, um, and a lot of that rail network is underutilized and under-maintained, and uh, other parts of the, the network, um, perhaps not fully maintained as we would like, but with a great amount of pressure for, for enhancement. And so there needs to be a focus of how we fund, particularly the more developmental parts of that railway network. Um, those focus areas are largely on the manufacturing, agriculture, automotive segments, and I'll talk to that again in a few slides. Um, in the, in, the in the last slide, and Portia showed you some, some slides around the, the level of competitiveness uh, of us against competing nations, is it's very clear that um, we, in a certain extent, create a bottleneck uh, to being competitive, not so much through our cost of logistics, uh, which we benchmark against others and we find to be reasonable, but much more about our constraints around delivery of volume. Um, this is really just a picture of Transnet. There's a map of South Africa, which I think is helpful, and I'm going to come to a map of South Africa towards the end of the presentation just to show you some of the structural change initiatives that we're pursuing. Um, our drivers in terms of shareholder and the shareholder um, uh, oversight of us is to facilitate industrialization. So yes, whilst we do see the importance of mining commodities and our ability to, uh, to service that, that industry, um, industrialization is really where we create the most significant degree of jobs. And so being able to service the container market with, uh, by rail and the auto, market, auto sector is, is really of quite significant importance to us. A trade facilitator is, is, is really important um, and enable um, growth which crowds in the private sector and crowds in not only capital but also um, crowds in operational best practice, uh, crowds in more of a shared and collaborative type approach. And I'll talk to you a little bit about some of our approaches around PSPs and the areas in which we are very active at the moment and in the moment in, in seeking partners to, to work together with us. And no, Roger, it's not us just seeking capital and then we make all the decisions. That's not our strategy. Our strategy is to reform the organization in a sustainable way, realign it to the policy directive that comes from National Department of, of, Trans, uh, of Transport, and crowd in the private sector capability, uh, the volume that they move, the capital that they provide, the ability to operate, and our ability to use that as a conduit for us to grow. We also need to grow uh, in order for the, uh, the model to be truly, truly collaborative. The last one is around competitiveness. So yes, we understand that our, our financial position is weak at present. Um, we cannot rely on our balance sheet. We've breached um, most of our gearing covenants at this point in time. So our ability to use debt as a sort of crutch to, to enable Transnet to continue to fund uh, is not available to us. In a way, that gives us the opportunity to actually fast track some of the partnerships because it would require that we create partnerships which draw in the private sector probably more on a project, project funding type model, and so that's critical to us. We also understand that we have considerable operational issues. Some of those are not of our own making. The impact of uh, theft on our network has had a considerable impact on our ability to operate trains. Um, we've lost overhead line, which means that sections of the network are inoperable for periods of time. Uh, rolling stock gets accumulated in one part and it's very difficult for us to bring the tempo back uh, to, to optimal. 
We do have our own challenges around operational uh, operations. We're very, working very hard to, to repair those. And in some uh, parts of the, or some corridors, as you spoke about previously, Roger, we're, we're definitely tracking up in terms of volume moved. I know there are some that remain critically behind, and we're working hard to reform those as well. On the, on the right-hand side, I've probably spent a little bit of time talking about these, but let me go through the three points that are on the slide, just so that we're clear of where we see the opportunities, but also, of course, the challenges for us have changed. The first is open up the railway network from a, a slot capacity perspective. Our selection is to do that uh, in the container, automotive, and agricultural segments. Those are areas of traffic where we don't do well. We don't um, address some of the complex needs of some of the customers in those areas. And we have available slots, and we wish to create further available slots for private sector operators in those particular areas. The second area is around uh, the regula uh, regulation of, of the sec sector and how that plays out. Um, we see the Department of Transport moving towards a single economic regulator. And the proposition around that is that we see trans transport as much more of a supply chain orientated view. So ports will be regulated together with road, together with rail. That requires us to reposition ourselves in the same way. So our segments are very much based on a supply chain or a value chain perspective, pit to port, uh, manufacturing centre to port. So just by way of an example, our reform strategy in containers deals with all the container terminals in Gauteng, Kalfontein, City Deep, um, draws the private sector in those three PSPs which are about to go out to market, creates available capacity on the line from Gauteng to Durban, which we now call the Container Corridor. Um, and then there's a PSP which has gone into market for DCT2, which is the second of the two container terminals in the port of Durban, to draw in a private sector partner which takes considerable management control of, of that uh, terminal going forward. It's not a request for funding. This is a true partnership. And then the last area is we have to grapple with the challenge that our tariffs are very much based on the historic context. Our tariffs have not been rebased. There's not been a structural view in terms of assessing our tariffs and our costs against the needs of new policy. And so that's a, a task that we're working very hard to, to try and correct. We, we really divide our nine segments in the segment strategy into two key uh, categories. The one being bulk commodities, that's largely the mining sec sector, most of the commodities that I've spoken to you about and the other being the industrial sectors, which is automotive, uh, container, and agriculture. Interesting that the, the industrial uh, sectors are also growing very rapidly. So we've also got considerable pressure um, from those sectors that are probably not in this room uh, for change in, in that particular, uh, those particular market segments. Um, in the bulk commodity sector, we have balance, balance sheet limitations, and we understand that. And we have to meet the growth ambitions that Roger sketched out. So we have to create a canvas in which the private sector can both co-invest, co-deliver, and we can drive up to meet the volume um, ambitions that we all have as a country. So there's a lot of uh, uh, tied up in that model, and the rail reform agenda assists us to a large extent to deliver some of those outcomes. Um, within the business, what are we doing at present? We're talking very significantly to our customers, to our key stakeholders, and a strong focus on, um, on fixing the existing business. We suffered during the COVID era. We continue to, to, to take an, a, number of, uh, a number of challenges emerged through safety and security across the network. 
So we're attempting to contain costs, enhance skills, um, improve business processes. We also wish to optimize the business, and that is around these core segments. So the reason that we have nine core segments is to create a very strong management focus across all our divisions around these key areas of the business. It's very easy in an organization the size of Transnet to begin to chase all the rats and mice. There's so much noise out there. So our focus is to try and align management around the things that really make a difference to our business. And that's why we've painted that particular, particular picture. And it actually aligns very closely with the heavy haul model in the commodity space. And then the last area is to grow the business. We need to grow the business for, for, from a number of perspectives. We need to grow the business because we need to be able to respond to the challenge that Roger's put on the table. We need to grow the business because it's in the national interest and we actually need to lead some of that growth. The other reason we need to uh, uh, grow the business is that as we begin to model financially what our business will look like, and we've done some quite extensive modeling in this regard, is we realize that rail is around economies of scale. And in fact, heavy haul is around economies of scale. Longer trains, filling more slots, reduced headways is how you actually move more volume at less unit cost. It's the same, the same applies in the port environment uh, and at the container terminal in Durban. So this drive towards economies of scale is a lot, to a large extent, one of the, pre the preemptive uh, planning uh, principles that we've tried to apply to the segment strategies. So the segments which Porsche shared with you are, are broken down into, into the nine areas. Um, she showed it in a slightly different slide, but really this slide says much the same thing. Um, in the mining space, there's four key areas, um, and you can see the drive up to deliver um, expansion in, in each of the areas. I won't go through uh, what Porsche showed you, actually showed you what our current nameplate is and what we could deliver in each of those spaces. We have an ambition to grow some of those, uh, some of those segments uh, quite considerably, and we have to do it together with the mining community and together with the private, private sector. And I'll talk to you in a slide or two's time about some of the models that we would selectively apply across those different uh, segments. In containers and automotives, as I've indicated, we take a value chain perspective and we're beginning to open up that market. We've gone out to market um, to, uh, to get response around uh, the selling of the slots that we have in that network. We're in a discussion with government about whether there can't be some funding made available to assist us to make those um, slots more reliable so that the risks for the private sector are, are, more, uh, are, are reduced. In the case of agriculture, we have a strong commitment by the agriculture and <coughs> agricultural commit, uh, community to start to redevelop agricultural hubs at rail sidings in quite far-flung uh, rural uh, communities, which really is strongly developmental. And they have a real interest in both improving port performance as well as creating uh, rail capacity, which we didn't otherwise in trains in trains that we didn't otherwise run. And then in fuel and gas, there is a um, uh, an RFP for a partner um, for gas in Ports of Richards Bay. But there's other um, there's other initiatives in that area which are also important. I won't talk to all of those; they're not quite in the theme of the conference. If we look at the PSP considerations that we have, is that in each area what we need to do is we need to protect uh, Transnet's overall interest, we need to open up the market, we need to expand for growth, we need to meet the customer needs, and we need to align all of that with an emerging policy position which in fact has not been enacted. That is a real challenge from a change perspective. This is an organisation that's 50,000 people strong. It has operated in a particular way for a very long period of time. 
And so our change journey is made through incremental steps. And some people wish to pull the steps back and be more resistant around change. And other people out in the community are saying you need to change faster. So for us, it's about drawing a balance between those things and ensuring that our sustainability is protected through that. Because the last thing we want is that transcendent sustainability is called into question through this, through this change agenda. So if I look through the, at the middle, um, we uh, would like the private sector to be a, a capital contributor. Uh, Roger said that's all we really wanted, but I think we see it as much bigger than that. We also would like operations and management ex expertise. We would like um, uh, to assist in terms of the regulatory and license agreements that are both within the National Ports Act as well as within the emerging uh, rail policy. And we would like to better use existing assets. So those are our PSP considerations. The benefits to Transnet is that if we can drive up businesses that are not doing well and we can expand them, we can enhance both our dividends and our tariffs. We can uh, enhance uh, volume throughput and we can create operational benefit that benefits the, the country and Transnet. Some of the structures that are under consideration in the areas where we don't uh, consider involving the private sector in rail operations through um, the availability of slots is to consider um, concessions in parts of the network. Um, operating leases may also be considered in parts of the network. Strategic equity partners are what we already are considering in the case of terminal operations in Gauteng and in the port of Durban. Unincorporated JVs or other structures that we've considered that we may identify as more aligned to the particular needs of, of, um, of segments that are within the Transnet plan. Um, as well as um, equity investment structures that we, that we could also create. So at this point in time, a lot of these are under consideration, and as you can see, our journey has already begun around where we consider those. But before I get to that, which is in the end of the slide, let me just spend a little bit more time, Roger, talking to the challenges that we, um, that we are driving within the organization to try and ensure that we eke out the best volume that we can within our current constraints. So we have a program called the Back to Basics program. It's run right across the Transnet group from ports to pipelines to rail. The focus of the, the uh, Back to Basics program is shown there in green, which focuses on people, and in gray, which focuses on our assets. Um, it's, uh, in the case of people, it's around creating a proper conducive working environment, um, putting in place uh, best practice uh, procedural um, processes, the second area is to improve our asset management and our asset utilization to ensure that uh, assets are not left idle. We monitor assets on a weekly basis, rolling stock, cranes in operation, etc. And we have targets for each of the ODs around how those are better used. Uh, the, the, the area three is in enhanced network uh, renewal. We understand the challenges of where we face. We've driven a process through the capital spend of uh, TFR that makes the best use of the available funding that we have, which we know is suboptimal, but if we can prioritize it better, we can have a better outcome. In all cases, the most recent TFR shuts have had greater effectiveness than the shuts of two to three years ago, because we measure them on a shut-by-shut -shut basis. And um, Roger, as you indicated, uh, TFR and yourselves have been in deep conversations about how the shuts could be better planned and managed. Um, on the top right-hand side, um, our focus is on standard operating procedures, adherence to these procedures, ensuring that people are at the right place at the right time within the network to fulfill particular tasks. So just get the back to basics process right, ensuring that we have proper attendance, etc. 
um, we have explored uh, a much more innovative focus on security. In the last quarter, we've been able to uh, reduce the number of security incidents by about 15% in rail and nearly 75 to 100% in the case of pipelines. That's working with the uh, customer community, as Roger had indicated to you. It's working much more um, closely with the, with the local police, but also with the SIU in terms of upping the number of prosecutions. Um, some of that also focuses on returning the network back to operations much faster once there has been um, a, a vandalism in incident on, on some of the core network. And the last area is about increasing the focus on allocating operating assets. So planning more effectively. And so the presentation, um, uh, the Australian presentation this morning, I thought was really, really insightful for us. And I'm very glad um, that there's been some collaboration um, between uh, the presenter and TFR around, around some of the techniques that could be applied in that particular space. So this is the last slide uh, that I just wanted to share. But, and we probably won't go all through all of these, but what you can see in the round circles is each of the nine segments. So these are our focus areas. These are the things that make a difference to Transnet. And in each of those areas, what you will identify is a PSP or a structural reform that we're currently in the process of engaging with. Um, across the Transnet network, you will see there's a key focus um, on improving the operation and delivery of volume through PSPs. So you'll see uh, from, from the Gauteng Center uh, to Durban, there's a number of, uh, of initiatives focused on the container line. In the case of Richards Bay, there's a number of initiatives and PSPs to improve the uh, performance of the port. Uh, in the case of um, iron ore, there's a focus on, on wagon sales. Uh, there's also a, a focus of, of quite significant potential reform in the container corridor uh, to, to make that corridor much more uh, volume orientated and draw the private sector in, in even a deeper way than just slot sales. Um, in the case of Cocoa, we are driving out a, a, a manganese terminal expansion that shifts the from the current um, manganese terminal at Kubatha to an expanded port at, at uh, expanded one at Cocoa. Um, we have an auto expansion program that's driven in East London as well as in Kubatha. Um, in the port of Cape Town, there's a structural reform around the, the port to be able to handle um, more uh, containerized traffic faster. In the case of Sedona, um, there's expansion of the whole iron ore manganese complex uh, um, up in the Sishin uh, Hot as Hell area down into the port at, at Sedona. So there's a number of initiatives. There will be continual adding to this program of action as we go forward. Um, you probably have seen a lot of this already come out to market. Now, market responses are, for us, sometimes difficult to guess at. So some of this will be informed as we get the market response because we don't always know what the market interest will be. So in the case of rail slot capacity, we have had anecdotal evidence of where the market has identified risks. We will adjust and reform as we need to in, in, in to ensure that that process is, is managed in a way that is in the interest of uh, SA Inc. Um, in the case of Bukhubai, which Porsche indicated previously, which will go out in RFP in this week, um, we're waiting for responses and on the basis of that we would potentially adjust our segment strategy to deal with some of the key export commodities in the Northern Cape, principally probably manganese. Um, and so this is an evolving journey. Um, uh, let me leave it there. Um, this is really, I guess, some of our program of action of reforming some of the, the key segments which we have exposure to. Thanks.